All right, if you guys have been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a short uh, preaching series I've entitled Unpopular. Uh, we've been talking about some very unpopular statements that I've made from the stage and uh, seeing how Scripture lines up with that and how it kind of lives in the tension of culture and how we as the church are supposed to respond and live within that tension. I've said that, uh, that if you are a Christ follower, you should feel this tension, right? In every area of your life, whether it's your parenting or your marriage or your job, or, uh, or you, when you're out and about or how uh, whatever the news tells you you should feel or think or how social media tells you you should uh, feel or think. And it all kind of comes back to this uh, thought that we read in John chapter 15, verse 18. It's kind of our theme verse. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's Jesus talking, saying, listen, you should live in this tension. You should understand that the way that I'm asking you to live and the things that I'm asking you to do are in essence going to be very unpopular. You can't, you can't serve both man and God at the same time. You can't gain the approval of men and gain the approval of God at the same time. This world is going to be against you. And so I love that Jesus basically says, don't worry about it. It didn't like me either. And so we have this like, we have this camaraderie. We have this arm in arm stance with Christ whenever he says, like, listen, in this world, it's going to be hard right? It's going to be difficult. You're going to see and you're going to feel and you're going to have maybe even some levels of persecution, although we don't, as Americans, we don't really understand that on the level that others do. Uh, but we're going to have this tension in our life. But don't worry, I've lived in this tension as well. And so we've looked at things like salvation and, and sharing our faith and our own personal popularity. Last week we looked at marriage and parenting and, and men being men and being leaders in their home and this week we're going to kind of wrap up this thought. Uh, as it said, I, I only planned for three weeks for this. If, uh, if between now and next Sunday God changes my mind, we may keep going, but I have an idea of where we're going for next week. And so um, I, this, I want to end this week kind of talking a little bit about the church and about our responsibility as a church to live in this unpopular tension. Uh, and, and just know this, like the, the, my first unpopular statement of the day today is kind of tied to what's happened over the last couple of weeks. We uh, we've had some really difficult things to teach and talk through. It's very hard for me to do that. Please know that I'm not immune to the things that I've said uh, to you guys, that, uh, that when it comes down to it, I'm not a perfect parent and, and I'm not a perfect spouse and uh, I live in the tension just like you guys do. I make a lot of mistakes. I miss opportunities to share my faith just like you miss opportunities to share your faith. I'm not perfect by any means but what has happened over the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of people on their way out or even stop by the office or call or text and go, man, that was so good. That was great. That needed to be said and I love that and I love this and, and I, I really appreciate you saying these things. But my gut level unpopular statement, number one, is I don't care if you like it or not. I care if you live the truth. I don't care if you like the sermon or not. It's not about, oh, that was a good sermon. It was, that's the last thing that I'm trying to accomplish on a Sunday morning. I could care less if you liked it. I care deeply if you apply it and if you live it and if you live out the truth of God's word in your life. I, I don't want anybody to leave here going, I really enjoyed that service. As a matter of fact, you should, you should basically hate what I'm saying. It's not popular. It should offend you on every level. And so I'm going to say this in a different way, but the same breath. Don't amen a sermon that you're not willing to live out. 
Don't come here and go, oh, that was great, that was good. I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear that sermon. It wasn't for them, it was for you. God ordained from the beginning of time that you would be here to hear this, not them. So take what God is giving you in this moment and don't say, oh, that was great, and never apply what we talk about. That's wasting our time. That's wasting my breath. There's truth Deep truth in God's word. It's my responsibility to deliver that truth. That's my job. It's your responsibility to hear it and to apply it. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own evil desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Listen, this is my responsibility, to preach the word. Not what I want it to say, but what it says. Not what culture says it should say, but what it says. If you want somebody to dilute the gospel, then you got the wrong guy in the pulpit. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the word. But hear me. Romans chapter 2, verse 13 says this. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Not just hearing and affirming the right things that are being said. It's actually about living out the truth. We were to keep reading this passage in Romans. It says this, this is Romans chapter 2, verse 17. If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what's superior because you're instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, and a teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. For our context, if you say you're a believer... If you say that you can stand up and teach, if you say that you can guide people who are struggling, if you say that God is important, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You you who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? It's written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. That God's name would somehow be drugged through the mud because of the way that we live our life. Because we say one thing and we do another. We come and worship one way. And on Monday through Saturday, we act like God doesn't exist only if we need him. It says God's name is blasphemed, means unbelieved, means talked negatively about because of you. So my question to you this morning is what is the lost world saying about God because of us? Because we come here and we agree about the truth, but when we go home, we don't live it out. Are you willing to allow God's name to be condemned because you, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, are not living a life worthy of the calling that you've received? Because we're not putting action to our faith. I don't care if you like it. I care if you live it. So not to re-preach the last two weeks, but do you understand what salvation is? You understand that it's only from him and through him and by him that we have the ability to say that we are saved, nothing that we do to earn that? Are you living to please God? Are you living to please others? 
Are you striving for popularity in a world that says you're not supposed to be? Someone were to watch your life, would they know that you're a believer? Not just on Sunday mornings, but like every day, would they know? Have you had deep conversations based off last week's uh, service? Have you had deep spiritual conversations within your home this week? Husbands and wives, have you tried to outsubmit each other? Or you just continue to go on, oh, we'll talk about it at lunch, but then after that, we're really not going to come back to that. Have you had a spiritual conversation with your kids this week about trying to connect what's happening culturally in their world and socially in their world to what the Bible says? Because your kids are walking into a landmine come Monday morning. School is against them. Culture is against them. Have you just kind of continued to keep with the flow and just do whatever you normally do? Men, I kind of hit you hard in the mouth last week. I like doing that. How many of you prayed with your wives this week? How many of you tried to set the example and get up in the morning and actually read your Bible and not be ashamed of that or hide that from your kids? Because hear me, don't amen a sermon that you're not going to go home and live. I don't care if you like it. Don't text me and say, that was good, preacher. If you're not going to live it. Because it's not about this. This is easy. This is, the, this is the easy environment to live out your faith. This is what we should be doing as a church. We come in, we affirm each other, we build each other up, we, we kind of amen each other, we kind of get juiced up for the rest of the week, if you would. And then when we get out there, it's real life. It's easy to live it in here. It's hard to live it out there. Live it out there. Men, I want to make you raise your hand, but I'm not going to. How many of you lived it this week? How many of you prayed with your wife? How many of you actually made a stand for something? Not based off your own opinion, but based off what the Word of God says, because you know it. I don't care if you like it. care if you live it. He's not... The Bible's not full of suggestions, it's full of commands. And affirmation without action is nothing more than demons do. I'm going to say that again because that's deep. Affirmation without action is nothing more than demons do. The Bible says even the demons believe that there is one God and shudder. We've got to live it out. Here's my second unpopular statement. The church is full of hypocrites. You're going, thanks, Matt. Here's the actual point. It's a little bit longer. The church is full of hypocrites and drunks and liars and cheaters and sinners and imperfect people. It's full of adulterers and people who have anger issues and people who have commitment issues. It's full of overcomers and underachievers. It's full of people who are most genuinely kind people you've ever met. And it's full of some of the shrewdest people you've ever known. Why? Because the church is full of people needing redemption, forgiveness, and salvation. That's just too long for your notes. That's my point. The church is full of hypocrites because we are all broken people, right? The church is full of imperfect people who act and react imperfectly. And we've got too many people holding God responsible for being hurt at church when God didn't do the hurting. Imperfect, broken people did the hurting. We're full of imperfect people. We're holding church people to a standard that they can never meet because church people are not God. God doesn't hurt us. He may hurt your feelings. He may challenge you. He may convict you. But he never condemns you. He never talks bad about you. He never 
uh, runs you into the ground. He never points a finger at you. The church is not a country club for social events. It's not a place to come and feel better about ourselves. As a matter of fact, the church is less about a physical building than it is the body of believers who serve together, who love each other, who gather together and worship a God who redeems them and loves them and forgives them and gives them a hope and a future. And as I was writing this, this passage of sermon, I normally write in, in quiet. I have to have quiet because I can't concentrate. I'm too all over the place. I normally will put in headphones or my earbuds or something like that. And I was writing this. I had music play in the background. It's so not like me. It's just one of those days I felt like I needed to have something kind of speaking uh, into me. And the lyric that was playing over and over and over again is, it's not a building that you want, it's my heart. This empty space is what you wanted all along. And like they just kept singing it over and over and over again. I'm writing this section of the sermon. I'm like, this is it. It's not this building If your understanding of the church is limited to the building, then you don't understand your role as a church. We are the church collectively. If this place burns down, we still have a church. And if it's it's only lived out here, then you don't understand your role as the church. It's got to be more than that. Before I keep going to this point, I've got to say this because it's so important. Yes, we understand the church is full of broken and imperfect people. We get that. We struggle. We, we struggle with sin. We make mistakes. But too many of us are settling into that role. Right? We're, we're using this common knowledge of, oh, I'm just a sinner, as an excuse to do whatever we want, however we want, to hide in the knowledge of, quote, unquote, broken people and use grace as a commodity to feel better about ourselves. We have to stop using God and start serving Him. Are we broken? Absolutely. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But we can't hide in that. We're using the church and using the excuse of imperfect, sinless creatures as an excuse not to really live out for Him. Well, I'm just a sinner. Is that what the Scripture describes you as? Is that what the Bible says that you are? Because the Bible says that you are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. It says you are set apart for Him, that you are dearly loved as children. We have to be the example of grace and mercy. We have to be the example of what a redeemed life looks like, but we can't hide under the blanket of redemption. And say, well, this is just who I am, so I can keep getting grace at church. Hear me, this hypocritical church point has really two sub-points underneath it. We're going to take this one at a time. Here we go. Um, in Colossians, if you have your Bible, go to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to spend a, a good amount of time in Colossians tonight. In Colossians chapter 4, uh, Paul tells the church to devote themselves to prayer, to being watchful and thankful, to pray for him as, uh, as he's kind of enduring some things. If you don't know this, the church or the the book of Colossians was written while Paul was in, in prison. It was a prison epistle. And so he's literally uh, in chains while he's writing this. And he's writing this church in Colossae to kind of encourage them. And this is what he told the church. Chapter 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. My first sub point is that the world is watching. 
The world is watching us, watching how we act and what we say and how we live. They're watching how we treat each other. They're watching how we treat others and how we treat each other. They're watching how we, we treat the people who are outside of the church. We are to be these examples of Christ. And Paul says, let your conversation always be full of grace. Are we full of grace? Or are we condemning? I was reading this week in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is telling a parable about a man who had owed a debt. And he went to the master and the master forgave him this huge amount of debt. And said, don't worry about it. You're free to go. And the servant went out and he found somebody who owed him a little bit of money. It says that he forced him to pay it. The master found out about it. He called him wicked and evil. And How dare you? How dare you demand something that I've forgiven you for? Church, we have to, we've been given so much grace on such a deep level. There should never be a point when we are willing to withhold grace from someone else. And too often, we're the, we're the worst examples of grace givers. And I'll say it like this because it's how I wrote it in my note. How dare you? How dare you withhold grace from someone else after all God has given you? How dare you hold someone to a standard that you're not willing to hold yourself to? The world is watching. He says, we should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. In the world does that mean? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, right? We have this preserving, we have the only thing that preserves life and gives life all that it can have. And Jesus calls us that salt. And then Paul says, you're supposed to season your conversation with that. That everything that we talk about should have a point that points back to Jesus. Does that mean every conversation has to be about Jesus? No. Goodness gracious, no. Can you talk about sports and hunting and shopping and purses and shoes and kids and school? And, yes, you can. You don't have to go, praise the Lord. I got my energy bill today. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Jesus was with me when I was reading my Bible because the air conditioner was blowing on my face and I got that $700 bill this month. I don't have, I'm not saying that. I'm saying every conversation we have should have a point because we have the greatest message in the world and too often we're unwilling to share it. And sometimes, sometimes we deem other people unworthy of that grace. How dare you? The world is watching. The second subpoint underneath this is the church is to be on the front line. It is our responsibility to be on the front line. Matthew chapter 16, you have to turn there. You guys are familiar with this passage of Scripture. He asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Y'all remember that? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, right? And he, and he looks at the men and he says, who do you say I am? 
And Peter steps up in, in Peter's fashion. Peter, um, Peter was normally the guy that said something first and then regretted it later, right? He stood up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? He has this incredible moment. And even Jesus kind of, you know, we, sometimes we paint Jesus in this very holy, like he walked. He didn't float on the ground. Y'all know that, right? And so sometimes I think Jesus was like genuinely like, wow, you know, surprised at what Peter was going to say in his humanness, but knowing that he's going to say in his, in his godliness, that's a whole nother conversation. But in that moment, Jesus is like, good job, Peter. I, I cannot believe it. Number one, you didn't come up with that on your own. God must have given you that because you're not smart enough for that. That's basically what he's saying to Peter. And then he says this, and I've got, this, I've got the, the passage on the screen because it's how I memorized it. It's in the, like, the King James Version, okay? And this is what he says, Matthew 16, 18. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Where's the church in Jesus' mind? We're on the front line of the battle against the gates of hell. Where in Jesus' description of the church is a comfortable padded pew in an air-conditioned building where we come to feel good about ourselves and quietly judge the music and personally deem the sermon good or not? That's not what Jesus says the church is. Jesus says the church is to be active, hell-defeating, offensive movement of the people of God against death and against evil and against the lies and deception of the enemy. And hear me, church, if we're passively living our life, if we're straining for uh, popularity, if we're just going with the flow, not trying to upset anybody, trying to fit in, then we're not living up to the picture that Jesus gave of the church. That we're supposed to be on the front line. That we're supposed to be pushing back against the gates of hell. That we are offensively attacking evil in our society. And if you're not doing that, then you're holding them open. And you don't understand your role as a church member. We're not perfect. We're people full of mistakes and regrets and redemption and grace and love and forgiveness and hope. Not because of who we are because of what he has done for us. It's time, church, that we represent him well. It's time that we stop being hypocritical in our lifestyle, saying one thing and living another. It's time we stopped hiding behind the excuses of sin and started living what we believe. That it actually becomes real in our life to affect change in the way that we do things. That we're not just affirming without action, like point number one, but that we are no longer living in the shadow of sin and that we are actually living out our faith. And people can look at us and go, you know what, they're hypocrites because they are that. And you go, yeah, you know what, I am, but I'm actively living for Jesus now. I haven't always been like this, but this is who I am now. And it has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with me with him yes we struggle yes we have sin but we're not going to hide in that any longer I don't care if you like the sermon I care if you live the truth church is full of hypocrites last one number three as the church if you are more concerned about getting what you want than you are about reaching the lost then you don't understand the purpose of the church if you're more concerned about getting what you want than you are about reaching the lost, then you don't understand the purpose of the church. I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. There's this myopic 
attitude that's been in the kind of thread that's kind of woven itself within the church over the last 30, 40 years. Myopic means self-focused. My. My perspective. Phrases like, this is my church, or this is my class, or this is my seat, or this is my family has always, or my tithe provides this, have become more and more prevalent within the church as the years go by. And on one hand, I want you to take ownership, right? I want you to say, this is my church. I'm proud of this church. This is my Sunday school class. I love these people. We do life together. This is where I sit, but if you want to sit here, I don't care. This is just, this is where we go. This is my place. But once ownership turns to arrogance, then there's an issue. Once ownership turns to arrogance, Colossians chapter 1, I told you we are going to be there for a minute. Verse 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. He's the head of the body. There's one leader here. It's not me. It's not the deacons. It's not your Sunday school teachers. It's not even the oldest member of our church. It's Christ. And if at any point you think your opinion outweighs his, then you're going to be sorely disappointed in the direction of our church. He has earned the right to be the head. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is before all things and holds all things together. He has supremacy when it comes to what we do and how we do it. I don't seek the opinions of men. I seek His will and His direction. We make these decisions together, obviously. But ultimately, if you're unhappy and God is happy... If you're unpleased, but God is pleased. If you don't like something, but God is blessing something, there's one person's opinion we seek here. There is one person that we are trying to please. There is one will that we are chasing after. And if your wants and your desires ever become more important than reaching the loss with the message of the gospel, then I'm sorry for your feelings, but the message of the gospel is more important. Without com- compromising the truth, we're going to continue to, to do whatever we can to reach the lost in our community. So if that means that we change programs, and we change programs. If it means that we try and we fail, at least we're trying. If it means that we reallocate money to reach the lost or refocus ministries or even remodel the sanctuary, right? We're going to talk about that later on. We're not doing this to pat ourselves on the back or or to brag about our numbers or to, to make ourselves more comfortable in an environment. This is so that we do all these things to reach the lost. We serve and we give and we hand out food and we give out school supplies. We serve and give uh, into the next generation because they're not the future of the church. They are the church. We pour into uh, people, into situations so that we can show people what the love of Christ really looks like in our own backyard. We provide an environment that people want to come to. 
They want to come and be engaged and hear the message of Christ and hope of salvation. We don't do this for us. We do this for the lost. It's more important that people go to heaven and hear the gospel than it is about us being satisfied and people going to hell. It's not about us. And so that Christ can be more and more and that we can be less and less. And so that his name is known and his name is praised and his name is worshipped and not ours. And if we ever begin to overshadow him, then we've missed it. We've missed it. It's been said that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for people who are not yet a part of it. And hear me, it doesn't mean that once you are saved or if you've been a long-time member of this church that I don't care about you. That's not what I'm saying. We provide ministries from babies all the way up to senior adults. I went around this morning. Some of you uh, saw me in our Sunday school classroom. This was promotion Sunday. And I went to our ladies' classroom that meets up here, and I asked them if they had anybody that promoted into their class. And they said, well, we, hadn't, we had one new person promote in, but nobody ever promotes out of here. We either promote to the nursing home or the funeral home. <laughs> I said, well, that's one way to look at it, right? I love those ladies. Jerry West apparently went in there, and, and by his own words, he needs to join their class because they just, quote, love him. And I don't know if we need to pray for them or what, but I'm just saying, senior adults all the way down to babies, and then I poke my head in the nursery just to see the kids running around. We are going to provide quality ministry and programs for every age here. But this is not the focus of our church. The overarching heartbeat of our church is to reach the lost. And so if that means you don't sing a song that you like this week, okay. Or if that means you didn't like the sermon this week, I don't care. Or if you don't understand why we're spending money in certain areas or in other areas we're not, then come ask me. I'll tell you. And I bet you 9.9999 times out of 10, it's going to be so that we can reach the lost. So that we can make an impact with the community, the gospel of Jesus. So that we can show people what Jesus is and how he loves and how he serves. Something as easy as the, the, the school supplies. You guys donated an incredible amount of school supplies. I went out and bought some more. Used the, the outreach money to do that, the missions money to do that. Just notebooks and pencils. I went to Eastside and we gave out kids who were so thankful, who were so shy, little kids. They'd walk up to your table with big eyes. Say, you want a pencil? You want some pencils? You want some notebooks? They'd nod their head. So what color do you want? And it's like their whole world changed. I want that blue one. <laughs> Here's the blue. You want two? <gasps> yeah. I told, I told every kid that went through the line, we had, I don't know how many pencils we had. I said, get you a whole handful of pencils. Get a whole handful of them. I don't care. And they'd reach in and they'd grab one. And I'd say, that's not what I said. Get you a whole handful. And they'd reach in and they'd grab one more. And they'd say, thank you. Did I stop every one of them and go, listen, I need you to know that Jesus loves you and that you were created in the image of God and that uh, if, if you don't die with Jesus in your heart, you're going to go to hell. And I didn't do that because we were just practical examples of grace. TJ, Shelton, and I sitting behind one table with 120 notebooks and 3,000 pencils. We gave them information about our church. We'd love to have you. 
Every person who walked away walked away with something and information. I'll spend money like crazy to make his name known. I'll volunteer and I'll serve this church like none other. There are people in our church who live this heartbeat every day. And then when the opportunity comes and you have the opportunity to share who Jesus is, man, it's like God does something incredible in that moment. Because the church is about the others. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This church is the picture of a church that's focused on what matters. On God's best, on reaching people with the truth of the gospel. Compassionate, hear the words, compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving. Because of how much God's forgiven us. Where in that is I'm here to get what I need. Mentality. It's not. This is where I talk out of both sides of my mouth. You ready? For the most part, Manuel does a great job of guarding against this thought of myopathy and being focused on Christ as who you guys are. I talk to people across the state all the time who know Emmanuel Baptist Church in Warren and they know how you live out the gospel and they know how your church is focused on reaching the community. They know the impact that we've had for generations long before me, long before some of you. You guys are great at this, but we can never, ever lose sight of what's most important. We can't slack up. We can never forget who the head is. And it's all about what he wants. It's not about us. So here's my hard statements today. I don't care if you like it. I care if you live it. The church is full of hypocrites. And as a church, if you're more concerned about getting what you want than you are about reaching the loss, and you missed the point. I'm going to share one more verse with you this morning. We're going to wrap it up. We've been talking about the church, how we as believers act and react and focus our efforts on reaching those who are not a part of us. And I thought, what does Scripture say about this? How do we, how do we wrap this whole thing up? That last little bit of Colossians chapter 3 that we just read gives us a little bit more to chew on if we were to keep reading it. So let's read it together. This is verse 15 of chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You want a picture of the church? That's the picture of the church. 
Whatever we do, we come together. We're peaceful. We're thankful. We dwell in Him. We teach and admonish and we sing. And we're grateful for what He's done in our life. This is what the church is supposed to be. Anything less than this is less than He deserves. You can boil all three of my main points this morning down to two words. Live it. Live it. Don't amen it. Don't just know it. Don't just tuck it away. Live it. Live out your faith daily. And people will come and they will see how good, not you are, but how good God is. Live it when it's convenient and when it's easy. And live it when it's hard. And you're the only one standing for what's right. Live it when you're at church. Live it when you're at home. Lead your family. Live it so your kids know what it looks like to live it. So that when they're your age, they don't have to have somebody on stage yelling and screaming at them to live it because they've been ingrained with it. It's time, church. And everything that we've talked about, all the hard things, unpopular things that we've talked about over the last three weeks, it's time to live it. Would you stand with me as TJ comes? And we're going to have a moment of invitation. This is really a moment of confession and repentance. This is a moment of uh, salvation and decision. If God's working in your heart in those are areas, we want you to be uh, responsive and responsible to those. You've seen baptism play out in front of you this morning. If that's something that maybe you've never done or you don't quite understand and you have questions about it, I'd love to answer those questions with you and for you. This is your responsibility and your availability to just respond to what God said. Maybe you just need to live it. Maybe you've been too focused on what you want and not what God wants. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with church. It just has everything to do with your life and your job and your family and what you're experiencing on a daily basis. Maybe you've been driving the bus and you need to get out of the way. And let God drive. It's time to live it. This is your opportunity to respond to what God said. Let's pray. And you guys come. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. And we thank you for just the truth. And sometimes how the truth hurts. And how the truth kind of hits us hard. Father, we should be grace givers. We should be actively living out our faith. We should be pointing people to you and Father if we as a church, as a body of believers have never just acknowledged our shortcomings with that, God today we do and we say we're sorry if maybe we are pushing after things that that you don't want, God that we, we just step out of the way and that we allow you to lead in every area of our life God our our overarching want and desire is that we just live it. God, you are worthy of our obedience. You are worthy of us just being obedient and living out what you have for us. God, let us do that in this moment. If we need to confess, God, today we confess. God, if we need to ask forgiveness today, we ask for forgiveness. If today we need to to step into what salvation means or what baptism means or what church membership means, God, today is the day that we do those things. Don't let us miss an opportunity 
to respond to you and your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys come as TJ sings.